0: Hey.
1: Hello, hello. Get started in a few minutes. Thanks for joining guys. We will get started in a few minutes. Five minutes or so. Let's get this room set up real quick. Hope everybody's doing okay. Hopefully you're all having a good week so far. get this set up that was weird here we go we'll get started in about three or four actually four minutes or so what's up anil
2: how are you sir i'm doing
1: all right man i'm doing all right it's that uh pre-black hat trying to not drink any adult beverages (laughs) because it's gonna be a busy week next week
2: that ain't happening (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I'm saying I'm trying not to do it this week, so that way, that way, I could, yeah. I could save my spare my liver for, for at least a week. Um, let me get this room set up real quick. Do this. Uh, Jeremy? I realized that I initially had mistyped Jeremy's name on the invite. But I corrected it, so that should that should work out well. Let's see. Come on. Here we go. All right. We'll get Jeremy out of here. This is our guest this evening. Jeremy M. Bala. Bala. let's see what are we talking about this evening what do you think we'll do some networking um maybe some thought leadership is that one of the options Or maybe it's just leadership let's see yep just leadership yeah i guess we've got some get some coaching out of uh out of jeremy how's that
3: Check, check, can you guys hear me?
1: Okay, loud and clear. Uh,
3: There we go. Hello. Hey,
1: Jeremy. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How are you? Doing okay. Doing okay. Thanks for joining us. We'll get started in a few minutes here. Um, We'll get started in a few minutes. Let me just, I thought I set up the room. Oh, there we go. All right. Katie, microphone check for you. Hello, hello! Come on, Katie. We need some more energy than that, Katie.
4: Hey, Katie. <laughs> hey, hey. How's that? Hello, hello. There, there you go. Is that better? That's more like Katie. That, that's the <laughs> Katie that we there you know love. There it is. Right. Yeah, Wednesdays. Wednesdays are funny because it's like I I love this room for the reason that it's that middle of the week. Like my energy level is totally like hit or miss though you're you're not wrong sometimes I'm exhausted and sometimes I'm like yeah halfway done so much left to do
3: (laughs) does it really ever end though that's the real question
4: (laughs) yeah not really you're right
1: (laughs) I was just telling Anil before you guys joined that I am trying to uh minimize my adult beverage intake this week because next week black hat is going to be a interesting long week so Gotta, gotta keep the uh the stamina i guess you know
3: it is gonna be a long week at black hat Def Con, back to back first time in three years at least for me
1: yeah it will be uh first time in like 10 or 15 years for me so oh, wow it's been a while it's been a while it's been a while um hopefully uh, we all stay healthy and it's Safe next week. All right. Look, it's uh, it's eight p.m. Why don't we uh, why don't we get started, Jeremy? I'm just gonna mute you real quick. Do a quick little logistics. Get the room sort of warmed up, and uh, and then we'll do introductions and and kind of get started. Uh, so just give me one second. Let me. Uh, there we go. All right. So. If it's the first time you just joined us, it's is our weekly fireside chat. We do this every single Wednesday between 8 p.m. Eastern time to about 9.30 or so p.m. Eastern time. So an hour and a half. Uh, this, is, this is really meant to be a fun conversation. Uh, middle of the week, let your hair loose, let your hair down. If you don't have hair, well, if you're losing hair like I am, you know, just enjoy whatever you have, whatever strands you have left. Uh, but this is the middle of the week conversation, really an opportunity for us to get to know our our guests, our guest this evening, who is Jeremy, on a different level. Uh, I'll, I'll say on a a, a less. I don't want to say a less professional level, but a more personal level, right? You know, what makes our, our guests tick? So it's a really good opportunity for us to, to have that sort of a conversation. So guardrails, if you will, for the conversation today. If you are a vendor in the audience, for the majority of you who know this already, uh, please don't come up and solicit, solicit us on your latest and greatest product, product or project or initiative. Now is not the time. Uh, this is this is really meant for thought leadership along the lines of mentorship, networking, and really getting to know our guests and their journey. Uh, so save those conversations on your solutions for another time, another place. Um, I feel like I haven't done this in a while, Katie, and I noticed somebody in the audience is probably going to be like, Tomas, I sent you a script. Why don't you keep to the script? It's a little hard to keep to the script because I, I I like to have fun during these conversations, but I, I do need to stay a little bit organized. Uh, so I will say one last comment. Our comments and opinions, at least for the, for some of us on the, on the panel this evening, are really our own and not representative of our current or prior employers. So please keep that in mind. This is being recorded, uh, but we ask that you do please keep that in mind. Don't hold things against us and uh, hold it as if we were speaking for our companies, uh, because the majority of us are not in that capacity, doing so this evening. Uh, so, without further ado, I'll go around the room uh, and start off in introductions. And, Jeremy, I will leave you for last. So, I'm Tomas Maldonado, I'm
2: the CISO at the NFL. Anil, over to you. Thanks, Tomas. Anil Varghese, serving as a virtual CISO, also co author of the CISO Mentor. Jeremy, welcome aboard. Looking forward to the conversation. On to you, Katie.
4: Hi, good evening, everybody. I'm Katie Hanahan. I'm the vice president of cybersecurity strategy for a boutique SI in Chicago. Um, also, uh, run their vCISO program. Um, that's how I know Jeremy. Actually, a part of the CISO community in Chicago. So, so really glad to have uh, Chicago represented tonight in the fireside chat. Welcome, Jeremy.
3: Thank you. I'm Jeremy Ambalabala. I'm a CISO at Hub International. I'm glad to be uh, be here with you tonight, and uh, thank you for having me.
1: Jeremy, thanks for thanks for joining us, and Chicago is very well represented this evening, Katie and Jeremy, so I'm sure it's going to be a really great conversation. Jeremy, we usually like to start off the conversation by asking our guests about their origin stories. So I know you just did an introduction. It, it, it was a, a very brief one, so I think now you have a, a great opportunity to take as much time as you want and really introduce yourself and tell us. You know, who you are uh, along the lines of uh, as a person, if you will, in this in this world that we live in. Uh, and tell us a little bit more about you and your particular origin story.
3: OK. All right. Yeah. So I'll go I'll go back to the roots, if you will, uh, to, t- to tell that story. Um, so it, re- it really goes back to my upbringing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a son of uh, of an immigrant. My, my dad's from Kenya. Uh, met my, he met my mother at Central Michigan University when they were in grad school. My mom is, is one of those, uh, uh, you know, second generation, you know, Michigan, Central Michigan Dutch uh, immigrants. And, uh, you know, my dad's a professor. My mom was a high school teacher and uh, uh, oldest of seven kids. And, you know, when I, I when I was born, my, my parents decided that uh, they didn't want us to go to school. Um, my, my mom wasn't a huge fan of public school system, having worked in the school system. And so she decided that, uh, she wanted to homeschool us, uh, and so she convinced my dad uh, to to let her try it for a year, and um, worked out. So she ended up uh, homeschooling me and, and my six other siblings, uh, our entire entire career school. And so my first day of school was the first day of college, freshman year, Calc one class, eight thirty in the morning. So a little bit a little bit different of a journey. Um, but the reason, the reason I kind of tell that story was it actually afforded me some opportunities to, uh, you know, spread my wings a little bit and, you know, do some things that, uh, um, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do, you know, had I been in a traditional school system. And so um, while I had, you know, kind of the, the same normal subjects that, you know, anybody would have in a normal school, um, it was really kind of in middle school and high school where I was able to kind of um, branch out a little bit and explore areas that, you um, you know that, that i really found interesting and you know in the during that time i really got interested in technology um you know, i mentioned my dad was a professor and you know, i'm dating myself a little bit i won't say my age but uh my dad would bring home kind of at the end of the semester this macintosh se if anybody remembers those the the you know the all-in-one nine and a half inch monochrome screen the three and a half inch floppy uh, you know, with a handle on the top, and he would bring that home, and he would do all of his grades for the entire semester in Excel. And I think I was like nine, ten at the time, and you know, I figured out how to do macros and automate, you know, the formulas and everything he was doing by hand prior to that. And so that's you know, really kind of my first exposure into technology. And from that point on, I really couldn't couldn't get enough of it, and you know, every time I would go to a friend's house and, you know, they had computers or I would go to the library and they had computers, you couldn't get me off of the damn computer. Am I allowed to swear on this thing, by the way? I, I should ask before I before I before I uh, kind of, you know, dip into my personality. You you could you could
1: speak as freely as you want. Uh, so, <laughs> OK, so go for
3: it. OK. All right. All right. I just had to check. Just had to check. So. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, kind of kind of. know started developing an affinity for technology and it was really really anything from you know anything electronic you know vcrs i was fixing vcrs again dating myself a little bit um you know got a soldering iron and you know was taking apart tvs and you know really literally anything that i could do and then uh in high school i started uh by kind of by happenstance again i was homeschooled during high school uh i was mowing lawns for one of the neighbors uh, and this guy was, uh, would go to, this is like central Illinois, right? This, the Springfield, Illinois is the seat of government for Illinois. It's actually the capital. This guy was not actually the capital. Well, it's kind of pseudo capital now, but Springfield is the official capital. Uh, and this guy was, was going to the state surplus auctions and buying computers, uh, you know, by, by the pallet, by the rows of pallets and he had a bad back. And so. And I was a guy that was mowing the lawns for him. And so he's like, hey, can you come out and kind of help us out and, you know, load the trucks and everything. And so I went to that and, you know, I started, I saw an opportunity and I started buying, you know, all kinds of, of gear, uh, you know, pallets and rows of pallets of computers, you know, Cisco switches, uh, you know, li- literally anything, fixing that stuff up. This is when eBay was coming out and then I would sell that stuff on eBay as a teenager, refurb uh, and, you know you know, kind of, you know, really just kind of got into the whole troubleshooting and, you know, more and more and more in technology at that point. And, you know, at that point, you know, I was still, like, you know, had this voracious appetite for technology. I was literally doing anything i could get my hands on. Um, couldn't drive yet or anything like that. So, uh, you know, again, being homeschooled, we had some different opportunities other than, you know, being in a school all day. Uh, my mom would, would drop me off at the library. You know, I would go to the library and I would spend all day there, you know, reading about you know, programming languages, whether it was Java or C or, you know, Delphi, whatever it was, uh, you know, reading about circuits, computer engineering books, and I would just read all day and then I would check out stacks of books, take them home and just just consume those. Um, and, you know, I just kind of continued to, you know, grow and develop this love for technology. And then, you know, at some point during high school, yeah, there was actually a guy that I went to church with Uh, That was an attorney, and he had started diversifying his investments, and he started buying Subway restaurants. and He bought, I think, it was like six restaurants when he started. And he knew that, you know, just kind of reputation that I had for fixing stuff here and there. That I had this appetite for technology, and kind of gave me an opportunity to help him out. They had some 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 big issues, and from there, that kind of spiraled into this uh, this whole consulting thing. And I started consulting for. Uh, Subway franchisees all over the Midwest, uh, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, um, and you know really focus on their retail point of sale systems. But this is also when PCI was becoming a, a big thing, and there wasn't end encryption yet, and um, you know, that was just kind of a, a big issue for 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 you know retail uh, presence. Uh, you know so, you know remote, remote access was becoming a thing. There wasn't really a whole lot of VPN in those types of situations, and so it was an opportunity for me to really you know help them point in time with some of their issues but also explore what what existing and emerging technologies were out there to to help uh, these small and mid-sized business owners really optimize and streamline their operations having not, not having any kind of technology expertise so i did that and uh, you know and i started an llc and um, you know did did pretty well with that and then uh, ended up uh, doing some 501c3 work, uh, you know pro bono for um, some, some NGOs overseas and medical medical space and um, through that I actually met uh, met some other folks. It's kind of crazy how this stuff always snowballs. It's like you start one thing and then you meet somebody and they know somebody and they know somebody and they know somebody and it kind of turns into something. Um, got into this uh, this uh, partner with this consulting firm that was doing law enforcement software. They were writing, arson uh, investigation software building code enfor- enforcement software uh across the u.s um, selling it to police departments and you know fire marshal offices across the united states and so they had this is when the whole cloud was coming out and you know had some expertise there and you know really just kind of you know continue to consult and hone my skills from from anywhere from kind of the software development side on the dot net all the way through uh you know cloud implementation and you know database skills and of course law enforcement and uh, uh you know public sector is very concerned about security and really really started kind of honing my skills there got out of high school and uh you know i wasn't sure that i was going to go into technology um but you know it was something that obviously i spent a lot of time with and gravitated toward um ended up going to school at uh university of illinois in springfield for computer science ended up getting a bachelor's and i, I consulted actually all through all through college um you know, paid paid most of my way through through school uh, with what I had made consulting, but uh, you know, uh, as as most of us probably here had, you know, had had a big pile of students still loan debt as well. Um, but you know, that's really where you know, if the university is really where I decided to to focus in on the uh, the security side of computer science. And so, like I said, like I mentioned I did my bachelor's in computer science, but really, you know, had a concentration in system security and information assurance. Um, and I cons- continued consulting, and I consulted for a number of years. Uh, yeah, it was like, let's see, it was, it was like another four or five years uh, after after college, um, and enjoyed that, and really enjoyed the uh, kind of the variety of experience and uh, exposure that I got to develop my skills kind of across the board. But at some point, right, I realized that uh, you know I wanted to kind of focus on security and you know, having my own shingle out uh, for myself, I kind of had to take, you know, whatever work came my way. And, you know, I, I you know I really enjoyed uh, cybersecurity, you know, the most and, you know, did a little bit of hacking as a kid as well. Um, you know, never did anything that got me in any trouble. Uh, but, uh, you know, always had kind of an interest in that. And so uh, a few years after, after I got out of college, uh, you know, I decided to, and I had, I got married and had kids and, he decided that hey consulting was probably probably not the life for me at the the stage in life that i was in um i applied for a job uh at uh, Horace Mann educators which is uh insurance carrier publicly traded uh, out of springfield illinois um, not not a huge marketplace in springfield but uh um, was a good opportunity and i ended, ended up getting the role and uh, came in as a, a security analyst slash engineer and, you know, thought I was, you know, thought I was hot stuff, you know, having, you know, 10 plus years on the bench consulting and lots of experience and, um, you know, computer science degree under my belt and, you know, quickly realized that, uh, you know, there, there's a whole lot more to, um, you know, uh, cybersecurity and enterprise level than you can get from, you know, small to midsize consulting and, and what they teach at the universities. So really, really spent uh, spent about two and a half years there, really you know, in the trenches, um, you know, doing everything from security operations, you know, SOC work all the way through, uh, you know, triage and and security architecture. Uh, and uh, you know, had some had some great mentors there that actually challenged me and, and you know, provided me the opportunity to really grow and, and develop. Um, it really, really went above and beyond. And was, you know, so there was some mentors there. That, um, there was some peers there that also, uh, had been there for quite a while that, that also challenged me and kind of took me under their wings and, and really helped me kind of blossom and grow. And, you know, I knew that, uh, you know, eventually that, that, you know, that would run out. I kind of, I kind of run out of runway there as far as my growth opportunities, you know, both professionally, but also, um, as, you know, as a practitioner and, uh, you know, decided to, to to make the jump, uh, make the jump out of there, and uh, uh, ended up coming over to Hub and moved uh, moved to Chicago uh, for for that opportunity. Came in uh, when actually when I found Hub, I applied for the job on on LinkedIn, and it was uh, a security architect role. And uh, I was like, okay, you know, you know, I'm I'm a security engineer and um, you know, kind of trending toward that, that senior side of the spectrum, you know, with the the responsibilities that I had been entrusted with. And I said, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to apply for this, this, uh, architect role and got a call back and, uh, you know, did that kind of initial HR screening interview. And I was like, okay, well, you know, we'll see how that went. Um, got a second call back and, uh, it was uh, the second call was an interview with the CISO at the time, which, you know, Katie, uh, you you, know, you probably know him, Seth McAllister, uh, one of the one of the renowned Chicago CISOs. And, uh, you know, talked to him for a little while and he was like, hey, Jeremy, you know, um, you know, what would you think about if, you know, if we made this a director role? You know, would you still be interested? And uh, you know, I was a little bit shocked by that. because I was like, well, you know, this is, you know, now we're talking about like two jumps up, um, but. You know, long long story short, ended up take taking the taking the role, moving up to Chicago. Um, you know, at the time, you know, hub was uh you know was still privately held, but it had ten thousand employees, um, about one point six billion in revenue at the time, and uh you know over four hundred and fifty offices operating in the US and Canada. And they didn't really have a security program. And so uh, you know, we basically had um, open DNS, some um, security policies that had basically been uh, absconded from the internet someplace, and uh, you know Defender AV out of the box. That was pretty much what they had. And so basically, you know, when I when I came on, uh, the kind of the catalyst for that was uh, the board had recognized that hey, cyber is something that you know we need to take seriously. We need we need to invest in. And so they had brought Seth in uh, as the CISO to build out a program. Uh, from scratch. And uh, so my position was uh, the first position that was hired for that. And so when I came in, he had just started, he had just finished his strategy and started to ink deals with different vendors uh, in the space to to build out a stack and build out a program. And so when I landed, um, it was, you know, uh, let's, let's build this out. And Hub was in the middle of, or actually just beginning on the journey of a, of a cloud migration. So moving away from you know, on-premise database, or excuse me, data centers uh, in the Chicagoland area to, to AWS and to, to Azure. Um, and so it was, you know, essentially we've, we've got we've to grind quickly. Uh, we've got to build out a full program in a very, very short amount of time. And you know, kudos to the leaders at Hub. They recognize that you know, it's going to take some significant investment to make that happen. So really, in that first year and a half, um, you know, we you know we moved to AWS. We put in a cloud-based web proxy. We put in you know uh, you know cutting-edge EDR solution. We implemented a twenty-four-seven uh, security operations center with an MSSP. You know, we put in a SIM. We put in a full vulnerability management program. You know, threat intelligence platforms integrated into our vulnerability management program and into our SIM and you know as well as our, our security operations center. You know, email security, the kind of the perimeter gateway stuff. Um, you know, ripped out the old ASAs and put in next gen firewalls. You know, with layer seven um, data classification and auditing platform. You know, and then all the, you know, all the the non sexy stuff, right? The policies and standards, and um, you know, all, all that stuff that you know everybody everybody loves, right? And on top of that, right, Hub is highly acquisitive. So, uh, at the time, Hub was doing about uh, between fifty and sixty acquisitions a year um last year i think we did 74 so we've been doing between 50 and 70 acquisitions a year uh for the last uh five or six years at least the last last five and a half years that i've been there so uh, we also put in a a robust due diligence program around m a to ensure that you know we're not acquiring you know baskets of liability and then you know after we acquire these agencies you know what is the what is the plan for integration and what residual risk with the organization uh, you know, realize post integration or post acquisition. So, you know, we kind of put all that stuff in, in a year and a half, which is a lot in a very, very short amount of time. And you know, I look back at that even today and it was like, you know, how do we, how do we do that? And I look back to my experiences, consulting and my experiences at Horace Mann and, you know, really around having to be scrappy, not having a lot of resources, uh, or having constrained resources, Uh, and, and, you know, just kind of having to, to, to lean in, roll up our sleeves and and get it done, um, as a practitioner and really as a, as a technical practitioner. And, you know, that's really kind of what allowed, allowed us to do that and be successful. So that was, that was kind of the first year and a half. This is, this is, so I started there, uh, I would say February, February, no, March, beginning of March, 2017. So this is all through, I would say, uh, mid twenty eighteen at this point. And then at that point, you know, we kinda we kinda had a functioning p- uh, you know, program as far as uh security stack and tooling and we had we had some people. Um and at that you know, but we didn't have anything around, you know, GRC. So there was no risk management, there was no security governance or IT governance for that matter, um no centralized compliance function. So uh we started building out a our, our GRC team and uh um you know, really started with our needs for needs around customer information requests. So, you know, Hub is an insurance broker uh, and uh, our customers care about their data and they want to ensure that their data is safe and secure before they do business with us or while they do business with us. And so, you know, as cyber became more of a concern for our customers, right? We started getting requests from existing customers or as part of RFPs uh, to place their insurance. They wanted to assure, you know, us to ensure that their data would be protected if they did business with us. And so we built out a, a team to be able to, to, to answer those requests and really attest to the investments that we had made uh, in cybersecurity and the controls we had put in place uh, to, to ensure, uh, help assure our customers, prospective customers, that uh, they'd be in good hands with us. Part of that, we also put on a third-party risk management program um, that, that wasn't there in place, and, you know, you know, internal and external audit facilitation. And, you know, then also keeping an eye on regulatory compliance, right? Obviously, insurance, you're dealing with uh, PII and, and PHI and um, some PCI. And so, you know, across multiple geographies, obviously, there's no national law around those things outside of HIPAA in the United States. And, you know, we also operate in Canada, so there's different provincial laws there. Different states in the, in the U.S. have different uh, different regulations, um, so um, you know, really having a whole capability around how do we stay on top of what we're required to do uh, across all those different jurisdictions. And how do we stay on top of that? Um, so, so we built out a GRC program as part of that, and uh, so that's this that takes us up kind of up to 2019, beginning of 2019, and then there was a big, um, a big shuffle, if you will, of uh, you know, folks in executive chairs. Uh, there's a you know there was a new COO that came in and uh, a new CIO um, and a CTO position was created. So at Hub, uh, security doesn't report into IT. So the, the the chief operating officer is responsible for IT, which is split between a CIO and a CTO. Um, and then security also reports up to that COO adjacent to IT. And so 2019, that's kind of when that configuration. Uh, breakout happened where you know where IT was split. Security was always off to the side, but uh, there was a split. And Seth McAllister, who I had mentioned, who was the CISO that had hired me, uh, vacated the CISO role and moved over to assume the new CTO role on the IT side. So the CISO role was open, and uh, um, they put it out to, to market. And I applied for it as an internal candidate. And uh, after you know, kind of much back and forth and ado. Uh, long long story short uh, i ended up in the role and uh, i'm still in the i'm still in the role today so uh you know it's been it's been a fun journey uh thus far i uh, hope to be there for 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 quite some time um you know i would say that uh you know the the biggest challenge you know in the, in the journey that i've described so far for me you know isn't really the the hurdles that we jumped or you know the 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 bodies of work that were in front of us that we accomplished to me it was really making that transition from a technical practitioner to be to being a, a, an executive uh, you know that's something that that was was tough and you know they don't again they don't teach that uh, you, you know at school right and I'm getting my master's degree in computer science they don't teach that at at universities uh, they don't you know, you're not going to learn that consulting. You're not going to learn that in kind of some of the smaller shops as a practitioner. You really focus on your skills, but uh, those are really things you kind of got to learn trial by fire. Um and uh so yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of the journey that uh that I had to for me from from the beginning to to where I am today. Oh,
1: wow, that's that's uh that's an interesting story and and I was just thinking Back to uh, one of the first things that you said around being homeschooled. You know how how forward thinking of your mom, right? Think about the pandemic and all, every, all the parents that had to shift into doing homeschooling, and you were, yeah, uh, you, you, you know, your parent was doing that very early on in your in your life. Uh, so that that um, is an interesting skill set to develop or to have had uh, developed and, and and go through. I'm curious. Uh, curious if, if she could have been like a consultant for for other parents you know thinking about uh the past two years or so um, but just real quick if uh, if it's the first time you joined us there's a little greenhouse on the top left of your screen uh, right next to where it says fireside chat you can click that little greenhouse and join our fireside chat club we do this every single Wednesday uh, we're going to ask uh, our guests this evening, Jeremy, a few more questions, and then we'll open up for the audience to uh, raise your hand, and you can jump up on stage and you can ask uh, a
2: question. So without further ado, Anil, I'll pass it over to you. Thanks, Tomas. Uh, Jeremy, great insights. Thanks for sharing your journey. You know, one of the things you touched upon, you know, you know, as Tom's talked about uh, homeschooling, being, you know, coming from a family of educators, you know, it was another thing you you highlighted as being drawn to these other opportunities. What mm. caused you to pick and open yourselves up? Uh, it's one thing to have them presented another one to t- take the leap forward uh, and being quote unquote fearless to some degree and taking those on whether subway or consulting or even into your current role. What was that drive behind that? That allowed you to step into those roles
3: yeah that's a, that's a good question I mean for me I, I would really boil it down to just hunger right i was I was hungry for more I was hungry for knowledge I was hungry for experience I, I was hungry to to get out there and really you know find my place and you know make make an impact and make a contribution and to me that that was the underlying you know drive that provided me with the uh, the momentum, and, um, you know, kind of kind of propelled me forward. And, you know, you just kind of, you kind of marry that up with the fact that I really love technology. And, you know, I, I you know, I was messing around with security as a kid, and, um, you know, just really, really loved that and felt drawn to that. So you, you, you just pair that up with the fact that I wanted, you know, I, I had, I wanted, you know, what's, what's my way? What am I going to do? I was always thinking about what, what am I going to do in the future? And, you know, just wanted to take advantage of every opportunity in front of me to the fullest. I didn't want to leave anything on the table, even at a young age. And so um, that was really kind of the mindset that I had. And I think that's that's kind of what motivated me and propelled me, um, you know, to to kind of take some of those challenges and risks at a young age and and bring me to where I am today.
2: I right, appreciate that background. You know, and, and along those same lines, which one of the roles do you feel prepared you most for the CISO or were you able to grain, gain or pull knowledge from a leverage uh, day-to-day these days?
3: No, that's a good question, too. So I, I've thought about that, actually, because uh, I've been asked that question before, and I, I honestly can't say there's any one role that really... Uh, I, 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 g- I gleaned the most or I get, I benefited the most from, from an experience perspective, right? If Going back to consulting, uh, you know, through, you know, being an engineer slash analyst at a uh, publicly traded uh, insurance carrier, right? To building out a program as a director slash architect, uh, you know, t- so those are kind of the, the three main, I guess, foundational roles. They all provided something to me, right? Consulting, it was really around you know, problem solving in the moment, people had major issues and, you know, I come in and consult and what do we have to do? We have limited resources. We have limited time. There's business disruption, being able to kind of operate in the heat of the moment during a firefight to, to solve a problem um, for, for folks that, you know, didn't really have a great grasp or understanding of of technology as small to mid-sized business owners. So that's really why I, I really honed my consulting skills and my ability to communicate with uh, you know lay people so to speak. And then you move into you know uh, you know the the role when I was at Horace Mann as an analyst or you know engineer and you know that's really where I kind of learned how to fit into uh, corporate culture uh, on a larger scale and you know how an enterprise works and you know that's how I you know where I learned about you know security operations and security architecture and business process and you know, you know all of the uh, all of the all of the kind of methodologies and ways that corporations work. You know a lot of that was new for me. As a consultant, didn't really have to deal with a lot of that. It was really come in problem, hey prescribe uh, prescribe the, the you know the, the remedy for the symptom and you know let's move on, let's get paid. Uh, you know, In a public company, it wasn't like that, and you had to be a part of the machine and, and, and find a way to kind of slot in and you know, know your role uh, to be able to succeed. And so I, I learned that there. And then you know, when I came to Hub, uh, you know, it was really kind of bringing those two skill sets together from a consulting side and then you know, the skills I picked up at Horace Mann uh, to, to build that program, but still as a practitioner again. Um, and so brought those two things together and that's what we were able to be successful in a short amount of time. But then taking over the role of CISO, uh, it was, again, a pretty big, uh, you know, a pretty big transition or shock for me, even, even though it was a, a move within the organization I'd already been in. It's a very different way of thinking about the world, thinking about the organization and its problems. Um, and, and that was something that was a bit of a transition for me. And, you know, as Katie mentioned, um, Chicago's got a great community of uh, of CISOs that support each other and help each other. And uh, the you know, actually, before I had transitioned even into the CISO role, I had, it's when I had the opportunity to meet uh, meet that CISO group and really get involved. That's actually when I met Katie uh, back. This is like what four and a half years ago, almost five years ago, something like that. Uh, and there was a, there was a number of folks uh, in that group that were able to you know, kind of helped me understand and, you know, kind of, you know, understood the path that I was on and, um, you know, kind of where I was trying to go and really kind of helped me develop that, that executive kind of corporate enterprise thinking and, and really, you know, understand what it meant to be a CISO, um, you know, versus just being a, uh, an academic, you know, security practitioner. So there wasn't really any one experience, again, to kind of sum it up. It just, you know, they all kind of snowballed and fed into each other.
2: Uh, that's great, Jeremy. Thanks for sharing. Because again, I think, you, which as you conveyed, you've been able to be in those points and position yourselves, you know, as those firms are going through pivotal changes or see changes as an as an industry with PCI with Subway or others that you were able to leverage and snowball into your future opportunities. So it's great to hear that. On to you, Katie.
4: Yeah, thank you, Anil. Um, hi, Jeremy. So fun to have you on the program tonight. Yeah, I mean, so you said a lot of things tonight that have uh, got me thinking. Um, One of the things that you said was, um, you know, trial by fire. Um, You said that, you know, uh, kind of around the challenges in transitioning from, you know, technical practitioner to executive. um, There are a number of people, you know, me included, um, a number of people in the audience um, that have had those moments where you know, we're making um you know transitions, whether they're as drastic as um you know becoming a CISO for the first time, which you know I I know you can appreciate because yeah, when we met four and a half years ago, I was not a CISO and now and now I am and, you know a CISO role and um it's uh, to your point, it's it's a shock to the system. Um and a lot of it, you know, in in this industry um you know there is a lot of trial by fire. And um what I'd be curious about is and you can go to any one of your experiences and I love that Anil even did the call back to Subway because because I think all of these things do piece together in terms of how we solve problems, how we approach problems, how we, um, you know, transition. Um, curious about what that trial by fire looked like. What are some of the things that you really felt like you were in the fire? Maybe a, a started out as a failure. Maybe it was a total failure, and and then it became a, a success. Uh, something like that. You know, just I, I feel like. Um, uh, knowing you you must uh, have gone through some really interesting moments um, to get to this point so just can you expand a little bit on on that trial by fire statement
3: yeah so without without getting into like a lot of the specifics because uh, you know when you know when you ask the question Katie you know some of the some of the things that come to mind you know things that probably can't share either from uh, current company or, or prior but they all kind of center around um, know large issues whether they are security incidents or or outages and you know as a as a technical practitioner that you know you always you know especially on the security side you know usually security is kind of the 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 last line of defense right the the last level of escalation for that stuff and so you know you're always pretty comfortable about your craft and oh we have this problem let's go to the logs look at these tools you know, let's figure out who's doing what and what's kind of quarterback situation and what's let's roll through it. And so that's that's always, you know, kind of the, the go to. And, you know, in a vacuum, it's pretty easy. Right. You just kind of fall back on your trade craft and let's get it done. Let's handle it. And that, that was kind of a, a you know a common theme of uh, teams uh, past and present. Just handle it. Right. Let's just roll up our sleeves. Let's get it done. We do this. We practice. We train for this stuff. We, you know, this is this is what we do. So in a vacuum. That's that's pretty easy, but when you're talking about you know in an enterprise environment, um, and I talked about Hub being ten thousand employees when I started. We're well, thousand employees now, um, so you know larger. So the needs have, of the organization have kind of snowballed and, and grown. Um, you know maybe maybe you know maybe as faster, or faster than you know my ability to grow and develop. Um, but when you're when you when you're in that in that fire at the moment, you know what. You've got to deal with everybody else. You've got to deal with IT. You've got to deal with uh, you, you know the sales organization out in the field on the business side. You've got to deal with other executives. Uh, you've got to man- you've got to manage up and across cross cross functionally with other stakeholders inside and outside of the organization. And those 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 oper- those experiences, that kind of those issues, whether they were incidents or outages, whatever they were. Were the, were the ones that really challenged me because, again, falling back on in, in a silo, right? Falling back on my tradecraft, super easy. You know what to do. You know, it's kind of a standard way to go about these things and handle them and, um, you know, to, to process those things. But when you're dealing with stakeholders and different corporate culture, uh, people have different levels of understanding, different expectations. Uh, it can become pretty tricky to navigate. And so, to me, those are the experiences where I gained the most. Um, you know probably had the had had the struggled the most, but also benefited the most from a growth standpoint, um, you know outside of you know my security practitioner uh, you know lens, you know dealing up and across the organization um, with with folks that you know maybe you know first of all didn't really understand what we were doing. Uh, but all, you know uh, you know being able to kind of manage communications and expectations that that was kind of a tough thing. And probably the the number one area that I think about the most that I gained from a development standpoint.
4: Yeah, I can appreciate that, and that's exactly actually what I was asking. I I absolutely did not want you to go into specifics about your <laughs> your specific uh, whatever within your company. So yeah, I think that that's the challenge too. Is um, you know that be, ability to to tell a story. Um, you mentioned one. Uh, you know one really great mentor. Uh, I, I look up to Seth as well. Um, are, is there other people that um, have come along anywhere in your life um, uh, that uh, have the qualities that you, uh, you you know you are now trying to give back to the the next generation? Who are those people who have impacted you the most um, in your life in your career?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So Seth Seth has obviously been a, been a, been a great uh, a great person for me. Um, you know, re- really, really kind of helped me with that transition from the technical side into an enterprise leader. So, um, you know, forever grateful for, to him, uh, for, 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 that, uh, that mentorship and coaching and the opportunities he gave me. Um, the, the one person that comes to mind that's been a constant, uh, throughout the last couple of companies has been, uh, a gentleman by the name of Ed Wilson, um, who, you know, is, is, is infamous in, in the circles that know him. Um, but he w- he was actually the, the security architect, uh, at Horace Mann when I was there. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember interviewing with him when I interviewed at Horace Mann and being asked like the toughest questions that I could have, could have been asked. And I re- I remember like, you know, Going through the interview and answering questions and getting progressively harder and as I got progressively harder, I remember getting frustrated because the, the kinds of questions that you we were asking were uh, you know, w- were maybe a bit obscure or uh, you know, he kind of figured out the depths of my knowledge and went beyond that and you know the whole thing he was trying to do was understand like what your char- what my character was, and was I going to bullshit or was I going to um, you know, say, Hey, I don't know. And, you know, I'll look it up and get back to you. That's what he was looking to understand. And so, you know, kind of fast forward, I got the job at Horseman, Mann. I, I joined the team and they had a, actually a five and a half month training plan where you didn't do any work for five and a half months. You had to get through this training plan that he had created on all of the tools, the stack, the operations, the policies, everything before you did anything. So I did that in like three months, three and a half months, whatever it was, Um, and, you know, was given some assignments and I, I remember, uh, you know, when I was finishing up training, I remember just being like, I want to get, I want to get to work. Like, I want to get through this. I want to get done. And I remember it was like the holidays. I want to say it was like December and he was on vacation. And I remember this is back like in the Skype days, right? The, the Microsoft Skype days before teams came out. And I remember, I remember calling him and saying, like, hey, I need to check out on this. Like, I have questions on, I think it was like the SOFO stack, right? So, you, know, the, you know, going back to like the on prem Sophos gear. And I remember him, like, on vacation, taking time to call me back, you know, over Skype and spent multiple hours with me, coaching me, kind of walking through this stuff to make sure that I got, it, even though he was on vacation. And, you know, kind of fast forward, you know, he came back and you know, he was always there. Uh, he came back from vacation and I asked him, I'm like, what are you doing here, man? Like, why, why, why are you, why are you in Springfield, Illinois, Horace Mann? Um, you know, he come from the West coast, worked for, you know, a lot of, a lot of big firms. Right. And, uh, you know, I remember him telling me it was all about, he's like, you know, I've, 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 you know, I've, I've run the race, right. I've been around, you know, all, all over the world, uh, consulting or working for large firms. And he said, you know, I'm just, I'm just tired of kind of the, you know, the kind of the corporate game. I just want to, I just want to pass on my craft and knowledge to, to folks that are hungry to learn. And, you know, and that's, and that's, that kind of sunk in with me because it was, well, this, you know, why is this guy taking the time out of his day? Like every day at the office to kind of help me stuff, help me learn, even though he had responsibilities or even on vacation. And so, you know, I, you know, that, that, that kind of persisted over the, the almost three years, like two and a half, two and three quarter years, something like that, that I was there. Um, and then, uh, fast forward, I left there, I came to hub and, uh, I was there for about a year and an opportunity came up at hub and, uh, on the IT side, not on the security of the IT side. And he ended up coming to hub and he's still at hub today. And so I still actually rely on him as a mentor, uh, to kind of bounce ideas off of and kind of check me and, and uh, um, you know, continue to kind of, you know, rely on his experience and his knowledge to kind of help. Uh, you know, grow me and um, develop. So, you know, to me, he's one of the, the core foundational people that was there in the past and is still there today. Uh, fortunate enough to have him at, at, at Hub today um, that, that I've been able to lean on for, you know, the last, you know, almost eight years.
4: Yeah, man, I really appreciate that. And, you know, what's really interesting, too, is just the fact that you were so authentic, you know, and, and that was what was appreciated and that he was able to say, then, um, I'm going to invest in you because you were willing to say, I don't know. I need to know. And um, that's the thing in this industry as we're pulling up this next generation of cybersecurity leaders um, I think that's just such an important thing to hear someone who is in an executive position to say it is okay to say I don't know uh, sometimes. Um, for example, I can say I don't know how to fly a plane, which I just had to throw this out. You mentioned Springfield a number of times today. So Jeremy today, when I called him, he called me back and he goes, yeah, sorry, um, I was uh, I was flying uh, flying down to Springfield. I had to drop some, some people off in Springfield. And I thought to myself, um, that is the coolest flex uh, that I have ever heard on a reason (laughs) that you couldn't pick up the phone. Um, so I am not afraid to say that I do not know how to fly a plane. I thought that was pretty impressive. Uh, we always wonder what people do in their spare time. Now we know one of your hobbies. But um, I'm going to reset the room real quick. We're already at 744, really enjoying this conversation with Jeremy Mbalabala, CISO at Hub International. Um, really uh, you know, loved hearing your origin story. And um, we have a number of people in the audience. Jennifer Sanders has already come up to the stage. Um, so we want to open up now um, to, uh, to the room with questions. Um, and again, anyone in the audience, feel Free to raise your hand. Um, we'll bring you up on stage. Just have something in your profile so that we know you are who you say you are. Um, we'll bring you up and ask uh, any kind of questions that you have. And then um, please fi- uh, follow the fireside chat. So in the upper left hand corner, just click on that uh, little green house uh, and uh, you'll be able to know not only when the rooms are um, and be alerted to those, but also be able to listen to any playbacks in case you ever miss um, an evening. So with that, I'll um, turn it over to Jennifer. Hey, Katie, thanks. thanks, everybody. Great to see you. Um hey, Jeremy.
5: Thanks so much for this um, super insightful uh, overview and and discussion of challenges and things that you cover. Um, I'm an attorney, and my hair just about like lit on fire when you talked about doing due diligence on hundreds of acquisitions, uh, both uh, in the the security and your how you handle data and the channels and et cetera. and and I caught you uh, when you said you, you don't ensure you help ensure. So clearly your legal and marketing team have coached you on qualifying your statements, but, um, wanted to ask you how you, what teams you work with on that and how you handle that. That seems like it's a goes back to the cross-functional, um, coordination that you were talking about.
3: But- yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I, obviously M and M and A is very, very complex, especially when you're doing it at scale. So, um, You know, we've got a dedicated mergers and acquisitions deal team that is really out there sourcing deals and, you know, working on the financial aspects, the commercial terms of the deals. Uh, So we work, we work closely with them. We also have a dedicated uh, M&A integration team that is responsible for all things integration related, especially on the technology side um, that lives within IT. So we we work closely with them. Uh, We also, you mentioned legal, we work very, very, very closely with legal. Um, and, you know, going back to, I talked a little bit about kind of the, you know, my during my origin story, a little bit about, uh, the beginning of the program and how we have been able to be successful. One of the keys to our success has been our very close partnership with legal, uh, all the way up to our chief legal officer. Um, I've heard from a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of folks, partners in the, externally that I work with, that that's kind of a rare thing. Um, uh, but you know, in our organization, I can't imagine success in MA or anything else without, uh, you know, how closely we work with our legal team. Um, and then, uh, you know, also on the M&A side, we also work with a number of third parties uh, that kind of help us with, um, you know, due diligence and you know, where we have expertise or where we have, um, you know, needs that, that kind of fall outside of our core competencies. And then depending on the acquisition, whether it's, you know, we do everything from, you know, a small insurance brokerage agency, where maybe we're buying a book of business, all the way up through, um, we announced early this year, it's public. Now uh, we bought insurion right. Which is a digital agency, um, with, you know, their own proprietary software stack and, um, you know, you know, uh, you know, e-commerce platform, et cetera. Um, you know, the, obviously lots of digital technology assets come along with that. So, you know, it run kind of runs the full gamut of complexity. Um, and so, you know, in those cases where the more complex M A's, you know, there's the, our software development and engineering teams and, Um, Our IT teams, as well outside of the kind of the dedicated uh, M and A integration team that we work with, so it's really, really kind of across the board. Uh, M and A really can't be successful without those deep uh, uh, partnerships uh, with, with stakeholders across the organization.
5: Yeah, thanks for thanks for that. That's um, good to hear. And yeah, and I also, across the organization as well as your outside, um, as you said, when you don't have the expertise or need it, um, leveraging outside expertise. I've been in a lot of companies, including Oracle, which is a well-oiled machine on the uh, M&A side. So, you know, seeing good and bad. So thanks a lot for that.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, thank you, Jennifer. Um, Gabby, over to you.
0: Yeah, um, Jeremy, thanks for the talk so far. Um I really loved that you called out being scrappy and I definitely identify with that. I was wondering if you've had any pivotal moments where you've said, "Hey, being scrappy has worked with us, worked for us so far, but we really need to buckle down, make us a priority and give it the support that it needs."
3: Yeah, so, you know, I again if I call I kind of fall back, you know, on consulting you always kind of had to be scrappy, but in an enterprise environment back at Horseman, that was really kind of where I learned that. Um, you know, we you know, we did, we, we, it was a mature program when I, when I got there. So it was really, you know, kind of a KTLO was develop, mature and grow the program. Um, you know, and there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, additional incremental dollars that were being provided. And so we wanted to do, you know, cool new things, or we wanted to, you know, pivot to keep up with, uh, you know, the, the, the you know, kind of the threat landscape that was continually evolving. It was always, what can we do with what we have today? Right. What, scripting can we do, or, you know, what gear can we repurpose, or what can we do differently with this platform or that platform to be able to uh, achieve some, some information security outcome? And I remember, you know, a specific example going back to actually repurposing, um, and I'm going to date myself again here, the old Nitro Sim, uh, which was before it got bought by, uh, um, by McAfee, before it was Intel. I remember repurposing some of that gear and actually having to modify and recompile uh, some, you know, NIC drivers in Linux uh, to be able to, you know, create a promiscuous uh, uh, NIC card to be able to, you know, sniff network traffic and pump that into a, um, uh, you know, an NVR threat detection, uh, you know, type of engine. You know, that was, you know, that kind of thing. It was like, well, we don't have money for this. We don't have the gear. You know, we, we have a threat. You know, we can't, you know, wait till next year's budget cycle and propose something. What can we do? And so it was really, so I guess, you know, to answer your question, it was really kind of a reaction to, you know, threats that were emerging and what can we do today with what we have today? What can we repurpose, reuse? What cre- what, how can we be creative to, to solve this challenge? Because we can't wait till the next budget cycle to try to propose a solution. Awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that.
4: I love the creativity um, in a budget cycle. I'm really starting to get uh, the sense of that in this this new role I'm in. Um, speaking of being in the hot seat, though, we have another um, esteemed attorney on the stage. Uh, Jenny, uh, over to you for your question. Welcome. Good to see you.
0: Hey, Katie. Nice to see everybody. Um, Jeremy, wonderful listening to your um, career. Very impressive. Um, for those folks who are you know, in a different role than being in, in IT, um, and they're moving up into the executive kind of level, which is a natural progression if you're good at whatever area you're doing. What is this skill that you have um, learned or honed that you find to be the most valuable um, being in that executive role now?
3: Yeah, that, that that's a good question. Um, you know, I would, I would say, you know, there's really kind of four, four areas and I'll break it up into, uh, three, three and one. So the first three, uh, are around, you know, knowing your role, right? What, what role are you in today? And, you, you know, kind of understanding where you fit into the organization. Um, so that's, that's number one. Number two would be communicating and listening. And communicating being that, you know, not just talking, stating your position, but being able to really listen, that's something that people have a, have a hard time doing, being able to really absorb and, you know, we think we're listening, we think we understand what somebody's trying to communicate and say, but, you know, if we're, if we're not really open-minded or objective what we're hearing, that could be kind of difficult. Uh, And we don't really, you know, get the message and then you got two ships passing in the night kind of thing going on. So that's kind of the second piece. Third piece being following through, always making sure you're able to execute, close things out, follow things up. That's, you know, that's kind of a table stakes thing, but it's especially important uh, when you're making that transition to kind of that executive, uh, that executive role. Those are the first three. And I mentioned kind of that's I do three in one. The other piece to that would be. You know, focusing on the business, whatever business that's in. And this is something that, you know, I continue to you know, reinforce with my team and, um, you know, new folks to come into the organization. And I have to continue to remind myself of, of, of as well, yeah, whatever role you're in. And I'll use, you know, you know, my, my role and, you know, my team's role as, you know, information security. And I say, you know, we're not here. We're not at hub. We're not in this organization to do information security or to provide information security. That's not why we're here. And people look at me like, Jeremy, what are you talking about? Like, you, you, you run security, you're the CISO. And you know, when I, tell, I tell engineers this, they're like, well, what are you talking about? And I'm a security engineer. I'm here to uh, design and maintain and implement controls that protect the organization. I said, no, that's not why you're here. The reason why we're, we're here, whether it's in security or some other role, the reason why you're in your organization is to help that organization succeed to help grow and enable that business. That's why, that's why you're there, right? As, as Ed once told me back when I learned this lesson a long time ago was, you know, keep that cash register handle cranking because that's what pays your salary. That's why you're there. You're there to grow and enable the business. And we do that through whatever function we're in, whether it's information security or whether it's legal or whether it's marketing or whatever it is. But that's a, you know, people say, okay, well, that's kind of a, you know, maybe that's kind of a hokey way to look at it. But if you look at it, if you think about it. That's a very important distinction to make. Now, if you apply that to information security terms, right, we're not here to, to do information security. If you, were just, if you were to take it from that lens, I'm here to provide security from a purely academic view, you're going to very quickly become the business prevention unit, right? If you're an attorney and you approach legal, legal matters for an organization based upon an academic legal view, you're going to be very quickly preventing the business from growing and succeeding and, and you're not going to be successful. But if you take it from the lens of how can I enable the business to succeed? How can I enable them to win more and keep more of the existing business? And you, you can apply your trade craft, whatever field it may be to that, to that organization through that lens, then you can be successful. And that's kind of the, again, talking going back to the transition from a a you know a, a a practitioner at a technical level or uh, you know in wh- wh- whatever field to an executive that's something that is tough, um, but to me that's that's one of the keys to success in making that transition.
0: That's awesome! I think that's a TED Talk right there, three to one. Thank you so much. <laughs> totally.
1: <Yeah>. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, Katie, I am Mike. and you are Mike and then you Mike uh, uh, <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks. <laughs> I know it was what of was like. Uh, hang on. Um, uh, anyways, Jenny, thanks for uh, thanks for that question, and jeremy, thanks for the your response. Um, Nate, over to you?
6: Yeah, thanks so much. and Jeremy, thanks so much for for sharing your story. I've really, really enjoyed this this conversation this evening. Um, one of the things that, that stuck out to me when you were talking about taking on your, your director role when you moved over to, to Hub was that you clearly had to stand up a number of different security programs and it's, it's one thing to step into a role and kind of assess the situation and come up with a strategic plan. It's another thing entirely to execute against it. Any, any thoughts or, or insights you can share for, for executing against uh, your vision?
3: Yeah. So that, 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 you know, that's, that's a good question as well. Um, you know, my, my first reaction to that was that that is kind of a whole different ball game having, you know, not kind of set the strategy and, you know, been a part of that coming in and it was already kind of pre-baked and okay, now you got to execute against it. Um, you know, that was definitely something to kind of come to grips with and grapple with. I, I would say the, the, the biggest nugget of wisdom that I have there would be around, you know, what's, What's best for where we are today from a maturity standpoint or what makes the most sense, right? What is the, you know, I, I hate, I hate the whole term MVP, minimum viable, minimum viable product, but think about it in kind of in those terms, because for, for lack of a better term, what can we do to, you know, not check the box, but what can we do to actually achieve something here uh, and, and realize an appropriate amount of benefit and, you know, kind of move on to what's next, knowing that. We're not, we're g- we're not going to leave that the way it was, but we have other low-hanging fruit we've got to pick now. So let's kind of handle that. Let's kind of get an MVP and let's continue to refine and, and, and mature those capabilities. And when you're talking about executing against a strategy that maybe you, know, you weren't involved in and you know, p- standing up new stuff and you just got to get it done, you know, it may not be exactly what you thought of. It may be a different tool than what you would have picked uh, it may not have all the capabilities that you think is, are necessary, but what can you do to kind of establish a common denominator for what makes sense for the organization? Create a roadmap and a plan for how, can you ref- how you can refine on that, not get stuck on it, right? Harvest all the other low-hanging fruit and then come back and you know, tweak the knobs and, and dials, right, and, and the gauges to get to where you want to be uh, over time. Because if, if you just focus on getting it perfect out of the gate, you're never going to get all the other things done. You got to get done. Yeah,
6: no, thank you for that. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, take take the ground you can get, move forward, and and keep keep progressing. So, thank you. Yep.
1: Thanks, Nate. Thanks for joining the conversation this evening, and and thanks to everybody who's who's jumped up on stage and, and joined the conversation this evening and, and has kept it going. Look, it is a we're, we're going to go for another thirty minutes or so. So, if you, anybody in the audience uh, has a question of Jeremy, and you want to you want to raise that question uh, live? Feel free to raise your hand. We'll bring you up. If you want to post it in the chat, you can post it in the chat, and I will read it off to uh, to Jer- to Jeremy. Jeremy, I don't believe we talked about this. Uh, what are you reading?
3: What am I reading <laughs> right now? It seems like I'm reading a lot of uh, uh, proposed legislation around privacy and and uh, cybersecurity uh, laws, but. Uh, um, not, not really reading a whole lot right now. Um, really, really focused on, um, you know, the outcomes that we've got defined for, uh, for the, for the organization this year. Um, you know, so not, not really doing a whole lot of kind of side reading. Um, you know, maybe, maybe as I get into the, uh, the, the holiday it it tends to slow down after Thanksgiving, maybe I'll have a little bit of time to get back into the books, but right now just kind of focused on uh, the tasks at hand
1: right man no off all, all, all work and no fun is not fun jeremy you gotta be a continuous learner uh but i'm with you man i'm, I'm with you it, it is it is tough and i'm sure jennifer appreciates all of the privacy legislations and jenny as well yeah, can I ask? all the privacy legislation question on do? that one
5: Jimmy, yeah. um how much i mean the Legal definitely reads that stuff and you would read the I I can definitely see the security stuff because it's directly applicable. How much are you um, expected to read in the like privacy area and understand that stuff for your work?
3: Yeah, so that's that's a good question. I mean, definitely, you know, that's legal's responsibility to you know, digest that and, and come up with a position, you know, kind of officially interpret that proposed legislation or legislation that is passed and say, this is kind of what we have to do or we should do. Um, so that's, you know, not, I don't have to do that. Um, where I, you know, where I feel I have responsibility is to take that legislation and interpret that into what does that mean for us practically. So in partnership with legal, kind of understand their take on it as these things are developing and understand what pivots do we need to make in our program from a security standpoint or larger from an enterprise standpoint, what do we need to do differently and start to engage in those conversations. And then at that point, start to educate stakeholders across the organization about, hey, these are the things that we should be doing or that we may need to do in reaction to legislation A or B, whether it's, you know, a national Canadian data privacy uh, law or one in the United States or, uh, you know, incident reporting legislation that that I saw that uh, uh, Congress is trying to pass right now. So it's really around, you know, kind of looking forward and not so much making the determination that we have to do this, but being able to start educating folks and planning for um, what we might need to do or where where we might need to make investments.
5: That's a great, great example. And just for the room to understand that that partnership, that's really invaluable. You don't have that in a lot of companies. And so to understand and a great example you just gave is incident reporting because legal is going to look at it and go, oh, there was a breach, you know, a bunch of data was leaked as of X hour And, and you're gonna look at it and go, no, was it encrypted? Was it not encrypted? What states are they in, you know, who is affected? And so it's a very, it's a very much a partnership and it's working through the legalese as well as the pragmatic and understanding it. And so I was just wondering how much you were tasked with it. And if you don't know, like when we're um, off and oning the microphone like that really quickly, that's clapping on Clubhouse, because I know you're new. So we're like clapping and saying yes to what you're saying. And there's also a, um, yes. Yeah, see there goes Tom, baby to show you. So we're just clapping at that. And then I'm, if you swipe right, like people have been commenting on the talk, I don't know if you, you know the chat the room chat that's along the side but um but yeah thanks a lot that that was great
3: yeah and i w- i would say you know again i, I mentioned earlier and uh, you know if you're a cso or you know aspiring to be a cso or kind of move into the the executive management on the security side re- really really invest in those relationships uh with your your legal team uh and, and really educate yourself uh on you know that whole grc compliance risk management you know governance privacy law side of the side of the house for me that was a gap area that uh was actually identified for me when i took over uh the role of CISO. and so um it, you know it was something that i i you know was communicated to me that hey you know we we want you to take this role on um you know there's some sentiment that you know, maybe are not the strongest in this area And so i actually spent like very a lot of time like the first year Really doubling down in that area, educating myself and uh, trying, trying to kind of shore up that gap area for me. Again, as a practitioner, a technical practitioner, that's kind of how I, how I came up the ranks. Uh, I wasn't so focused on, you know, privacy legislation and instant reporting legislation, or you know, Canadian provincial law, or um, you know, you know, PIPEDA, or what's going on, uh, you know, in California or Massachusetts. I wasn't worried about that stuff. It was, hey, legal is going to tell us what we needed, and so I spent a lot of time you are building that skill set and, and educating myself. And as part of that, you know, I realized that, you know, you got to know what you don't know and there's folks that know that. And that's kind of how I started forming that partnership with legal. And that's been invaluable uh, for us, especially as you get into incidents and uh, again, reacting to changes in legislation that are happening quickly and the threat landscape is changing, and, you know, as you all know, very, very quickly. Um, being able to educate them. They've also legal's been able to become a very big advocate for us. Uh, and, and help keep us connected to the business and provide kind of a different lens of perspective outside of, oh, this is you know, one of those you know, crazy ex-hacker type you know, fear mongerers that's telling us we got to do this. When you have your GC uh, kind of saying the same thing from a different lens uh, at the same time, it kind of helps balance round of the perspective and um, really kind of help us get a lot of things done. So I re- really recommend investing in that, those relationships if you can
1: couldn't agree more uh i've worked for i've worked in the in that legal world for about seven and a half years uh as a cso so i couldn't agree everyone more. knows it's, tomas uh,
5: wanted to be probably. an attorney because he was watching perry mason we've
1: heard this story before right? <laughs> that is true jennifer that is true we gotta we gotta educate people on who perry mason was now for these uh <laughs> young folks in the crowd uh, but yeah, absolutely. we have to educate no, them on what linear
5: TV is first, and then we can go to and That's
1: true as well. No, I I, I can't. Um, I can tell you, Jeremy, that you know what you what you've experienced over the past few years with uh, with GRC and, and having to build your space in that world, or build your build up in that uh, capacity, and everything that you're doing now is you know, it's, it's only going to continue, right? I mean, people think CISOs are mm-hmm. are very technical in nature and some are, right? But a large majority of what we do is having to interpret uh, interpret different uh, laws, whether they're privacy laws or regulations if, if you're in a regulated industry or, or the like. So uh, I spend a lot of my time reading contracts, uh, which is fun, fun stuff. Uh, but anyways, enough about that. Nicholas, thanks for uh, jumping up on stage. Uh, anything you want to ask, uh, Jeremy?
6: Yeah. So, uh, hey, Jeremy, thanks for sharing with us today. It's great. Um, I had a question, so I'm definitely older than you because you had a Mac. See, I had a fat Mac when I was growing up, so <laughs> I, I, I got you by a few years. <laughs> um, so no worries about that. And, and that gives me a little bit of a different perspective. Um, Early on, my uh, so I've been doing my fourth company right now. My second company was a company called Digital Guardian way back when. And mm-hmm. when we started that, there was no such thing as a CISO. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I've seen, I think, three years into DG, the DLP term came up and the CISO term came up. And I've sort of seen it evolve. What's interesting now, and I'd really like to get your thoughts about, is that it seems like the, the cloud, and specifically um basic infrastructure like m365 or g suite whatever you know the basic collaboration tools and file storage and email and blah 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 sort of and especially the m365 suite that gives you a combination of all the different components in one seems to be causing in terms of what i'm seeing is is a lot of friction because i see sort of um many times the infrastructure groups taking responsibility for some of the cloud stuff and keeping the security guys out uh, and not really providing a positive collaboration mechanism, partially because what you said previously, like, like too many times, you know, security was not about to your point, helping the business security was about no, right? They're the no department. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and hence, now that they've the opportunity to sort of block out the security folks, because they're the no people, and this is collaboration, and we're going to do everything. Um, it's, it, it's not as collaborative. and And what happens is. They start making mistakes. They don't understand InfoSec. They don't understand the basics. They don't understand how to tune these things and deploy these things. It, you know any of that stuff around it. Um, and on the other hand, sort of many times the security organizations aren't necessarily up to speed and all the latest, you know, whatever technology, and it causes a lot of friction. And, and, and I've seen in some cases situations where um, systems are getting fired and replaced by info, by, by operations people on the uh, on the on the CIO side. I've seen other situations where the CISOs are, 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 are taking over operations and becoming like a CISO operations person. Okay. I've seen other uh, uh, a large fortune uh, sort of uh, a hundred pharmaceutical company. A CISO just changed their title about six months ago. He became and he, he was a longtime SISO, like 20 plus years. Um, he became the chief digital trust officer. Right. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard that term before. So there's a lot of I don't know. I see a lot of change. I see a lot of good change. A lot. I see a lot of conflict sort of going on in large organizations. I love to hear your thought and your perspective on what what you're seeing, how you're seeing evolving. You know, um, you know, will the CISO world be changing over the next five years to something else and evolving or adapting? What What are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, that, that, that that's a good question. Um, you know, there there definitely is uh, a bit of conflict between. You know the, the the security organization and you know traditional infrastructure organizations, if you will. And you know some of that some of that is is by design and and is is natural and healthy. That's one of the reasons why you know hub security doesn't report into IT uh, as it does in a lot of other places. But you know what you're, what you're talking about, I think, is is, is uh, you know maybe a bit more than that, and is definitely something that that can present itself, especially you know folks are moving to cloud and you know, infrastructure teams are looking at, you know, how do we bundle licensing in? How do we do this? How do we do that? That we want to do, you know, without necessarily having to jump through security hoops or having to get uh, approvals, et cetera. And so that, that, is, that is definitely, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely something to that, that, uh, you know, needs to be solved. And I would say that, you know, one of the things that, that you know, I've done that our team has done is try to, you know, I talked about not being the business prevention unit and, you know, being focused on the business versus being an academic when it comes to information security. That's, that's really kind of where I anchor in solving some of those challenges. And, you know, I can count on one hand in the last five years how many times I've had to say no, where I've had to say we're not approving that. Uh, because we, we, we're trying to, you know, what I've tried to do is move away from security being, hey, you got to jump through our hoop and we're going to say yes or we're going to say no. Move away from that. That's, that's not going to be helpful. That's not going to, to work in today's day and age. Now, obviously, there's, there's some, you know, hard red lines that, that can't be crossed. But the approach that, we, that we've taken is well, let's have a risk management conversation about this. Let's enumerate and illuminate the risk. And let's talk about that risk. Let's put it on the table. And let's focus on process and being able to say, hey, there is, there is an issue with proposal A, and this is the risk that it presents to the organization. Rather than saying no, rather than saying we're not going to approve that and getting into, uh, you know, fisticuffs over it, let's, let's have a conversation about what that risk means to the business. You know, whether, you know and hopefully you're, if you're having that conversation, it's a material risk. And then let's talk about what what we can do about it, right? Are we going to mitigate that risk? Are we going to propose an alternative solution? Are we going to find a technical way to solve for that risk? Or are, you know, and likely if we're getting into this conversation, somebody's trying to accept the risk. And so versus saying we're not going to approve that, let's have a conversation about the risk and decide. And security often kind of owns this subjective uh, decision of who owns the risk. Let's talk about who owns the risk. Is this an enterprise risk? Is this a risk that, that doesn't affect the entire enterprise? This it one business unit or, you know, affects, you know, IT's ability to operate? Or is this a risk that, it, that is systemic and material to the entire enterprise organization? Because if that's the case, maybe, maybe, you know, it doesn't belong in IT. Maybe it doesn't belong in operations. It probably doesn't even belong in security, right? Maybe that's a, that's a, that's a, a conversation for, for legal to sign off on or for the CFO or for the CEO to sign off on or the board at some point. So rather than, you know, getting to, well, we're not, we're we're not going to approve that. You can't do this. You know, I, I try to was convey the risk in terms of back to the business, what it means for the enterprise. And then at that point, we can talk about who, who is the best person to, you know, uh, disposition that risk. And again, you can kind of decide who's the best person at that point. And, by taking that approach, you kind of avoid a lot of those conflicts or those conflicts kind of self-resolve where we're not having to kind of play that game of, well, we're going to say yes or no. Is that is do, that answer you, your question?
6: Yeah, just a, a follow-up. So do you feel when you say, so you've only said no once, right? And I assume that's a
3: permanent no.
6: But in other times when you when you were thinking, yeah, that's really risky, right? Do you feel, I know you don't have a liability of doing this, but do you feel a personal responsibility every time you you you, you, you want to guide somebody where you say, well, I know you want to, uh, you know, uh, send, uh, you know, PII or PCI to do Gmail, but that's not really the best approach, right? But here's an alternative that may make a lot more sense. Does this meet your business requirements? Do you, do you feel the need to say no, but here's another way to do that? Or do you think it's the business's problem to go figure it out? Like, no, you can't do that.
3: No, so yeah, obviously, you know, we want, to, we want to try to find a better way. And that's where, whether it's the business that's, that's trying to propose, you know, some business process that's risky, whether it's IT, let's find an alternative way. Like, I do feel responsibility to partner with the business or IT to find a, a way that works sense. Like, that's, that's, that's a table stakes. So you can't just say no, or that's too risky, go figure something else out. We've got to partner with them to find out how we can enable that business, how we, how we can enable that process in a safe way. And then at that point, right, it's well, you know, whether they wanna do it or whether they don't wanna do it, okay, well, you don't wanna do it, let's, put, let's, put, let's, let's, let's document the risk, let's put it in writing. And, you know, somebody's got to sign off on it. And I've, I've yet to find anybody that wants to sign off on, you know, d- documented cybersecurity risks, especially in in today's day and age where, uh, you know, executives can be civilly liable for these things. So to me, that's kind of a, you know, kind of the nuclear option that helps kind of mitigate some of those some of those challenges. So so that,
6: that's an awesome position to be in. And I've seen what I've seen over time with some of the, the sisters that do that a lot is the business eventually comes to them proactively rather than waiting till the end of the project They go, hey, here's what I'm thinking of doing. What do you suggest? Help me out. But right. I, I, I guess, do you have any suggestions to other sisters in terms of I don't know, I haven't seen anybody do it in a methodical fashion. It's all more like, typically the sisters personality and approach and whatever. And they just sort of, you know, they're just always useful and always there and they, they call them into it. But I I haven't seen somebody be able to say, okay, here's a program to do this in a methodical fashion rather than, you know, me sort of just being that guy or gal. Yeah. You know, it's just always helpful. And, you know, you get the right personality, you're open about it, you're positive about it, you know, type of thing. Is, 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 is there a methodical way of doing it for sort of the younger CISOs coming up or you just have to have that right personality?
3: No, you're you're, you're, you're right about that. I've I'm not, I'm not found, you know, there's no process to solve this. And, you know, you can try to solve it with, Defined process and you know uh, regimented governance, but yeah, that's just going to be viewed in a negative manner, or you know viewed as as cumbersome, and you're not going to be viewed as collaborative and as a problem solver. So you're really hitting on something there, and it's really about you know again partnering with the business, and again not being an academic, but being first an enabler of the business, and that that should show through in your attitude, your approach, you know where if you're grounded there then, you know, that, that's going to that's gonna remove a lot of those barriers. And if, and that's, if, that's, your, if that's your starting point, that's the lens from which you, at, you, at, you attack these problems, um, you're going to be better equipped to, to actually be that partner and be successful in, in finding a way to mitigate the risk and enable the business versus saying step through these 50 steps of a process and then we'll see where you fall. That's not going to be received well.
6: Well, I, I wish you the best of luck and I hope your message goes to a lot of the young guys coming up uh, and gals coming up because uh, I think there's been an, a bad reputation amongst business and security of uh, sort of being the no department and, and your attitude is 100% correct and, and best for the, the, the business as well. So congrats.
3: Yeah, thank you. No, you're 100% right. It's a great question. That's
1: actually a good a good sort of uh I don't want to call it a segue, an an absolute segue, but uh, but it does lead me to to a question about that next level of folks coming up, Jeremy. Is there any anything that you're sort of focused on with bringing and cultivating that next level of talent?
3: Yeah, so that's you know that's kind of always the 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 big question in this in this industry is you know where do you get the talent from? Because there's a you know obviously we're all competing. Uh, for, for talent out in the marketplace. Um, you know, I've seen stats all over the place for the number of the hundreds of thousands of jobs. I think the most recent one I saw was where 700,000 jobs sh- uh, open, right? People, that we have people short. We're short people to fill those positions in the industry. So that, it's, it's, it's always tough. Um, you know, as, as, you know, as you look to you know, fill roles and find folks to cultivate and uh, bring up in the organization, you know it's important to really understand and 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 for, for, for the folks that you're hiring, you're, you're working with, you're trying to develop professionally to understand where do they want to go, and what what do they feel comfortable with, and where what are their aspirations, and you know where, um, you know where do they and for them to have kind of have that self awareness of where they need to develop and grow because not everybody's going to want to be a CISO or, uh, you know kind of have the skill set or you know not even the skill set but want to tolerate a lot of the stuff that comes along with that. Um, you know, you've got you know. You look on the GRC side, and it's it's a very different type of, of folks that are you know looking to come into GRC and and uh, you know specialize and grow there than you know maybe on the kind of traditional uh, security path. So it's it's really you know it's really kind of up to the individual and as as a leader of of, of those teams, really understanding you know each of those uh, each of those people, understand that they are people, understand that you know they all have you know, different capabilities, different backgrounds, different experiences to pull upon. I've talked about a lot of my experiences I've been able to pull upon and talked about some of the gaps that I had, right, and the self-awareness that was required to kind of develop in some of those areas. The same thing is going to hold true uh, for folks that you want to kind of bring up and develop and cultivate. And so those things kind of all have to align uh, for folks that are, you know, trying to progress in their careers. And, uh, I mean, the road's going to look different for everybody. There's no, there's no blueprint for this, uh, if there was, we wouldn't have 700,000 jobs open uh, with candidates that can't fill those roles. Uh, you know, this this field's not been around for a long time. And, um, you know, a lot of the things I've talked about as far as, you know, building experiences and, you know, kind of understanding what drives you, what motivates you, where you want to go, where do you want to invest your time? There's a lot of time that gets invested into this. And, you know, for me, it worked out because I really, really cared about technology and security. I mean, I, you know, I had home labs. I would buy gear off eBay and set up, you know, entire environments in in my, in my basement and, you know, work on those things in my spare time because I I really enjoyed that. And I, I cared about that. And those are the things that kind of helped prepare, propel me, but not everybody, not everybody really kind of has, you know, maybe that type of, of, um, you know, drive or motivation for cybersecurity, right? Maybe they do on the legal side, maybe they do on the GRC side. Um, maybe, you know, maybe they're not going to be an engineer. So those, I mean, you just got to think about kind of what, what drives people, what motivates people, what experiences and skill sets do they have, uh, where do they want to go? Um, and then kind of help them, uh, kind of help them piece them together with their vision and, and, uh, then you can present opportunities for folks, but it's, there's no, there's no blueprint for this at all.
1: Being a seesaw is sexy. Everybody wants to do it, Jeremy. You get all the all the luxuries. You get to you get all the big bucks. You get to sleep peacefully every night. You got job security. What do you mean? You're <laughs> trying to scare off the next generation of talent? This
3: is a oh, great man. gig
1: we got here. I, nah, that, I sleep like that, a baby every night. <laughs> you know, I wake up every two to three hours.
3: <laughs> hey, if they're, you know what, they're, they're, the big bucks are not insecurity. I'll tell you that. You know, if I, I if I if I wanted the big bucks and I had to go back and do it all over again, I'd sell insurance or, you know, sell uh, sell uh, you know security solutions and maybe some of the folks on here uh, you know are, are, are peddling. Um, you know, but uh, you know, I just sit around and go to meetings and do PowerPoints all day. That's all I do, you know, it's not that sexy. No, I'm kidding. It's not kidding. It's not that. It's not. It's not that boring. Um, it's exciting. It's always fun. There's always some new challenge. It's, it's, there's never a boring day. Um, but you know, you've got to. You've got to have whether it's a CISO or whether it's a VP level, it's a director, whether it's an engineer, whether you're a, a SOC one junior analyst, like you just got to have a passion for it and what you're doing because it's you know, people people always think that, especially folks that are jumping into the field. That, you know, it's going to be what you see on the movies or TV, right? Or you're handling incidents every single day. And it's, you know, you're dealing with the North Koreans and the Russians. And, you know, that's, that, that, those are kind of flash-in-the-pan experiences that pop up every now and then. I think we all know that. Um, you know, a, a lot of it is, you know, kind of the mundane stuff. It's that, that it maybe isn't that sexy. Um, but guess what? It's equally as important or maybe more important than uh, some, of the, some of the fun stuff, quote-unquote, fun stuff that pops up. So, um, you know, as long as, long as uh, you know, you kind of understand that and you enjoy all of that and you, you kind of have your eye on the prize, you can succeed in this space.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was just I was obviously I was just joking. Uh, but there is a question in the chat uh, from Gary. I'll ask that question. But I do see Samantha on stage. So, Samantha, over to you first and then, Gary, we'll, we'll get to uh, to your question.
7: Oh, thanks very much um yeah let's get to Gabriel's question and um i'll chime in after that okay sounds so. good
1: so okay. gabby you want to ask your question live or you want me to read it off because right, you're still on stage
0: sure oh, i can ask it go ahead um, so jeremy um you've talked a lot about like explaining things so that way lay people can understand um you've talked about the importance of understanding the business Uh, so so i was looking for any tips that you have for communicating that business strategy down the chain to the technical staff implementing the strategy um i i found myself needing to communicate up the chain about impact and value proposition for the majority of my career Um, but i'm now at a point where i have staff below me and i need to be able to clearly and effectively communicate the business strategy without overwhelming them and also wanting to shield them from some of the bs that comes from the top. So any yeah. tips would be great.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that you know, you're asking you're, I mean you're you're heads in the right spot as far as what you're asking because you can't probably take, you know, the the CEO board deck of the business strategy, you know, all, you know, 40 pages of it or whatever and send that out to the team and say Okay, here, here you go. Now you understand kind of what business is doing. What's all marching in that direction? Like, that's not going to work. So, you know, it actually, even, even business people, it takes a while to kind of understand that and chew, chew it on it for a while and kind of chunk it down into what does this actually mean? And so what I've always done is like actually tried to digest the business strategy and understand it. And in the context of what I've seen the organization doing and where I see the organization going, uh, it makes sense. Oh, I see that you know we're acquiring more and more companies every year. I see that we're investing in digital platforms and digital capabilities, and you know I see that you know we're focused on kind of stabilizing the core uh, and and building up the the, the cap- capacity and the capabilities the organization has, and you know that's that's kind of you know uh, you know just right there. That's kind of like the the entire enterprise strategy for Hub, which is a. Uh, <laughs> You know multi-billion dollar, you know 17,000 person organization in just a few sentences. So how do you how do you take that strategy? How do you really understand it, consume it and, and and replay that back into you know layman's terms, not just for your team, but for yourself. And once you have it down, once you understand, it, then at that point you can create a security strategy that maps to that business strategy. Again, how do you create a security strategy that enables that business strategy? And if you can communicate you know, those together to your team and, you know, kind of in the the business sense at a a very high level and make it relevant for the team of how they can enable that business strategy. Again, going back to how do you position your team to be an enabler of the business, build your security strategy from that lens. It makes it very, very real for them, uh, you know, versus, you know, some board deck that, that, you know, talks about, you know, value creation and organic growth targets and et cetera. So that's, that's kind of, that's, you know, kind of how I think about it and the approach that I've taken. And, um, you know, I've always, you know, we kind of, I've always tried to take, uh, you know, understand kind of what, what I'm hearing as far as the business direction, even if it's not a formal strategy and replay that in a, in a way that is, uh, you know, makes sense and people understand and can relate to. And, you know, and and that's something that, you know, nobody really taught me. I just kind of thought about that because, I'm not an insurance guy. I, I'm not. I, that's not my background. Um, and you know, I was just searching for how do I how do I make how do I become relevant? How do I make sure what I'm doing aligns to what is going to make this this company successful? Because that's why I'm here. Uh, and so I have to, I really kind of had to learn that. And that's me seeking to understand and learn and digest that is, is kind of how I figured that out. So spend some time with that when whatever industry you're in, and just you know, as, as security folks practitioners, we you know we may not necessarily have robust experience in whatever, whatever field it is that the organization we work for uh, specializes in or has core competencies in. But, you know, find the time to make yourself familiar with that and be able to kind of relate that strategy back to your team and then create a security strategy that, that marries up to that.
0: Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, distilling, framing, and making it actionable. I think those are all great tips. Thank you.
3: Yep. Thanks for the question. Thanks,
1: Gabby, and, uh, and thanks for joining us, Gabby. I had the pleasure of meeting Gabby a few weeks, ago, like, oh, maybe a month, month or so ago now at RSA. So thanks for joining me in on the conversation. Samantha, over to you. Oh, no! Thank
7: you so much. I think my question is along the lines of, you know, um, the future in terms of, uh, as a CISO, what do you see as your, um want to go to, top challenges in the next six to 12 months? So I speaking.
3: The two top challenges in the next six to 12 months. Yeah, so the number one challenge is continue to uh, to grow the team uh, at, at the pace at which we need to grow the team. So that's, you know, that's, that's a tough thing. Again, we're growing very, very quickly. So how do we staff the roles that we need for the organization? Um, how do we, you know, develop talent internally and you know, provide professional development opportunities for people, you know, kind of in the, the heat of what's going on, right, which is tremendous growth and uh, you know an evolution of the threat landscape. So that's that's kinda that's kind of number one. And then the second the second challenge is, you know, how do we how do we look at what we've built over in the last five years at Hub. And you know, we I talked about the stack we built, the program we built, you know, that can't stay static if it stays static then it's just a matter of time until we have a breach um, or, or, or you know a cyber related outage so how do we stay on top of uh, you know the, the threats how do we stay on top of the stack the tooling how do we ensure that we're continually uh, you know revising and updating our processes and and how we operate to, to be effective it, it, you know I, I summarize that it really comes back to efficacy how do we, how do we make sure that the program, the investments we've made, you know, people, process, technology. How do we ensure that we have the efficacy of the entire program is where it needs to be given that our business is changing, it's growing or diversifying the business and the threat landscape is changing at the same time. So you have multiple variables and you've got to find a way to keep the efficacy high. And if you don't focus on that, uh, you're going to, your efficacy is going to fall down just a matter of time until something happens. And so to me, those are the two biggest challenges staffing. Appropriately, and then ensuring the efficacy of the program, uh, you know, stays high as uh, the business changes and the threat landscape changes.
7: Thank you very much. And I'm going to have one follow-up question, which is around the um, ensuring that you stay up to date with any sort of like changes in the cybersecurity threat model. How do you and your team stay up to date with um, current threats or potential threats that can happen in the future?
3: Yeah. So it's, it's, that, that's a good question. Um, you know, obviously staying plugged into the news was coming out of CISA, you know, warning some of the FBI, you know, we work with a lot of third party partners I talked about on the MSSP side, but also uh, a lot of the partners that we have from the tooling perspective also have a robust, uh, support and, um, kind of threat intelligence research arms as well. So they kind of keep us looped in. And so as things kind of develop and happen, we usually have two, three, four sources hitting us up uh, simultaneously as we're seeing it in the news uh, that's that's developing. I think about you know solar winds as an example. Um, you know, I think we had like four different vendors at the same time as that was emerging hit us up and say, "Hey, you know, this is kind of what's going on. We see this. You know, you may be exposed here. You may be exposed there based upon our knowledge of your environment, et cetera." So that that kind of helps and. Um, so, you know, there's obviously, you know, you kind of got to stay plugged in and know what's going on, uh, but it also helps to have trusted partners, a variety of trusted partners that understand your business, understand your program, understand uh, what your environment looks like um, so that, uh, you know, they can be there to assist you, um, you know, proactively as needed. And that, that's that's that been very, very instrumental for us in being able to stay on top of emerging threats.
7: Yes, Not thank you for that. Yeah, because I think that um, what you've highlighted in terms of um, your vendors coming to you and highlighting to you um, what the threats are is so important, your vendors or your auditors, because a lot of the times um, companies kind of depend on their own insights without realizing there's so many other third parties that you can reach out to in terms of identifying where your threats are. Yeah, so thanks very much. Um speaking.
1: Thanks, Samantha. Thanks for jumping up our stage and contributing to the conversation this evening. So, folks, it is nine thirty-three p.m. Eastern time. Uh, it, it brings us—we're going to start wrapping up uh, the room, uh, get to some of the final uh, questions, get to the final question. Uh, just wanna make, I do want to make—I do want to make a quick, very quick announcement. Uh, again, just a reminder: if it's the first time you joined us, this is our fireside chat. We do this every single Wednesday uh, between eight p.m. Eastern time and nine thirty p.m. Eastern time, so about an hour and a half or so. Uh, you can listen to the playback if you missed the conversation. You can listen to the playback in about five minutes after we close the room. Uh, next week, there uh, actually I think next week next week might be a bye week. We might actually take uh, next week off. Uh, I know it's uh, um, <laughs> I know some folks don't like when we do that, but uh, there will be several moderators out at uh, Black Hat, so you can probably find them uh, find them and find us, I guess, at Black Hat. If you're in and around Blackout next week in uh, in Las Vegas, so that being said, uh, we if we don't come on with an impromptu sort of conversation next week, we do have our uh, another guest uh, joining us in about two weeks' time. So we ask that you do come back uh, for the conversation uh, on August twenty fourth with Steph uh, Steph Sheeta. Steph Sheeta joins us and. Those who know Lisa Beth Lentini Walker, she is she and Steph wrote the book. Um wrote a book which I oh don't tell Lisa Beth that I can't remember the book's name right now. She's gonna kill me. But uh she is the co-author of the book um with with uh Lisa Beth. So it'll be a very interesting conversation that we'll have in a couple of weeks' time. Uh so with that being said, uh Jeremy, I usually like to I usually like to ask this question of our guests and and I guess it's been called the final question. Uh, and that is, if you had any piece of advice for the younger you, what would it be and
3: why? Oh, Am I still there? I bounced out for a second.
1: No, I hear you now. Okay. Well, what was the the question? If you had any piece of advice or one piece of advice for the younger you, what would it be and why?
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, One piece of advice for the younger me. You know, so, you know, going back to some of my my early corporate experience, it would be, you know, be more willing to to listen and learn. And, you know, I, I talked a lot about you know, understanding the business and enabling the business and, you know, having that business focused lens. Those are lessons that I learned the hard way, uh, earlier in my career. And, uh, you know, there was, you know, through, through different types of conflict in different scenarios, different places. Um, so, you know, those are, you know, sometimes you got to learn things the hard way. That's one of the things I learned the hard way. So being able to, to be kind of more open and, and, and listen and, you know, be less prescriptive off the bat and, you know, really trying to to take that business focused lens versus, you know, hey, I'm an expert security practitioner with credential A, B, C and D. Um, that's not gonna that's not gonna be you're not gonna be successful um, if if you you stick to that. So um you know, wish I would have taken the easy street on that, but uh, glad glad that I learned the lesson at some point
1: those lessons keep us growing so that's awesome thanks thanks for that Jeremy mods any final words before we kind of conclude
2: hey Jeremy thanks for carving out the time appreciate the insights especially you know as we've gotten more and more in depth on the privacy and business fronts on um, that the CEOs uh, C- uh, have to juggle along with everything else appreciate it
4: yeah, I echo that. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremy, for spending an hour and a half with us on a Wednesday night. Um, just really appreciated the chance to get t- to know you better. I didn't realize that um, you had come up in such a uh, practitioner technical way. Um, I've, I met you when you were already in leadership. So um, just, uh, you know, from the outside looking in, it's just a really impressive story and um, you know, very inspiring. So thank you again for uh, sharing your time with us tonight. Um, and Tomas, just, just for the room, uh, the and Anil put it in our chat, it's the Lisa Beth's book is Raise Your Game, Not Your Voice. So kind of mm. uh, a good, good, good transition. To, I, I think that Jeremy uh, definitely uh, is that type of person as well. Definitely showed us his game tonight. Um, that's our, our co-moderator, Lisa Beth uh, Lentini-Walker. That's the title of her book.
1: I hope she doesn't listen to the playback because I am going to get beaten up next time she sees me in person. We'll edit that out. We'll edit that out. <laughs> all right look th- oh. thanks jeremy thanks for you know you know i concur with the maz thanks for the conversation this evening thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to spend with us for an hour and a half and thank you everybody for for tuning in and joining us uh, on on this wednesday evening and contributing to the conversation those who came up on stage and those who uh, just listened hopefully you took away some good points uh, this evening that'll help you with your with your career or help you interact with other security professionals and and you know, keep things that, that are top of mind for them, uh, or or get a little bit more insight into what's top of mind for them. So thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you everybody. And, uh, with that, we'll see you all in a couple of weeks, uh, or we'll chat with you all in a couple of weeks. Have a good rest of your week, everybody. Stay
3: safe. Thanks for having me. Thanks. It was fun time.
4: Thanks everybody.